The way I've got this figured out now is that our whole life is a long evangelistic effort. From beginning to end. Everything we do. Now, of course, we've got to live it. When you get in the army, you soon find that out. I got in the army, and uh, as an officer, I was a physician there, you know, so I was an officer, and the general, General McClure at Fort Ord, had his orientation of all officers on the Sabbath. And I didn't show, of course. And uh, the hospital got a call. General McClure wanted to see me. Well, I got down to his office, and I met another man I'd never met before, a dentist from Walla Walla. He was there for the same reason. He didn't show for the officer's orientation. So we were called in. We saluted, and uh, General McClure said, I know why you weren't there Saturday. You were Seventh-day Adventists. He said, but this was like a church service, and I was the preacher. Next time you will be there. And he dismissed us. We have one word to say. Well, they try you. They test you. And they had it again on Saturday. And, of course, we didn't show. We never heard another thing. But, but it's interesting how they try you. So I was sent... Then my second year, over to Taiwan. It's interesting how I got there. The man who directed where we went was a graduate from Loma Linda, and I stopped at his door one day and talked to him. I said, I speak Chinese. I'd like to go over there. <laughs> he said, I'll arrange it. <laughs> and so I was a military advisor to the Taiwanese army. We had a new lieutenant colonel come in, and he was giving me a bad time. He changed the staff meeting every week, to Saturdays, from Tuesdays. And uh, when we had a, an American Army officer or a wife get uh, pregnant or something, she had to go up to be delivered in Taipei, and I was in Taichung. So I ordered up a plane to take us there, you know, Chinese Air Force. And uh, it was interesting. When I got back one day, Sabbath, or Sunday, it was, it was Sabbath. I got there be, before sundown. I got home. I had a note under my door ordering me to appear at staff meeting. Now, when you disobey a direct order, they can ship you into the brig, you know. And so he was making it hard on me. Now, the U.S. Army has a special good deal, special regulation, that no matter how low the officer is, if he's a medical officer... He can order a general to the hospital for medical reasons. <laughs> so I let my fellow officers know the problem. I said, you get word back to that man. If he doesn't lay off me, I'm going to order him up to Taipei to the hospital for mental observation. <laughs> you know what that would do with his career. Well, anyway, you've got to live it. They try you. They test you. Uh, by the way, just uh, after I left Taiwan, they did send him home to Walter Reed for mental observation. Uh, but but it, they do try you. They do try you. You've got to live it. But while I was there at Fort Ord, only 19 of the 23 Seventh-day Adventists who went through the basic training bothered not to get trained Friday night on Sabbath. I, I mean, only four did not. Nineteen did go through the regular training on Sabbath. Now, that's a disappointment. That was a disappointment. 
not only do you have to live it, you have to exude it. It's got to be in you. You don't even know it's coming out. Every one of us has an atmosphere around it, around us. Uh, there in Taiwan, there was a lady who was pregnant, an English lady married to an American paratrooper. Well, it's time for delivery. I had to order out a Chinese Air Force plane to take me up from Taichung to Taipei, where the hospital was. Well, we got on the runway. Thing all revved up, ready to go. <laughs> I said, tell the captain it's too late. We'll deliver her here. <laughs> and, and so we did. Delivered her and the baby. A baby right there in the airplane. Thirty years later, I was giving a series of health talks at a camp meeting, Midwest camp meeting, and I had workers' meeting. Every morning I talked to all the ministers. The second day I was there, a minister came up to me. Did you ever deliver a baby on an airplane? <laughs> he said, I'm the baby. <laughs> now, you see, when they got out of the army, they went up to Florida, settled down, and uh, he divorced his wife, and she had her son to bring up. But the elderly man next door was up to the Adventist. And he kind of took over, helping that boy. And uh, one day the boy said to the mother, you know, that man next door, he's a Seventh-day Adventist. She said, I want to tell you something you don't know. You were delivered by a Seventh-day Adventist doctor. Now, I don't know what I ever said to that lady, but I was gung-ho and letting everybody know I was an Adventist. I know that. And uh, they knew I was a Seventh-day Adventist. And so, you know, that second day, that man went back and got his birth certificate with my signature on it, a picture of the airplane, all the officers, all their names assigned to it. <laughs> it was interesting. Got into the newspaper, a big deal. 30 years had gone by. He was now a Seventh-day Adventist minister. His mother was joined the church, head of the Dorcas Society. Okay? Everything you do is evangelistic. We have an atmosphere about us. People notice it. We might not even recognize it. I was teaching a class at Loma Linda School of Public Health, Adventist Philosophy on Nutrition. Now, this was only for Adventists. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Everybody's allowed to attend. But th then I got by with it just for Adventists because I wanted to go into detail on some of my feelings about board meetings, how they vote, whether they're meat eaters or not meat eaters, et cetera, et cetera. And anyway, it was kind of interesting. There was a Chinese dietitian who got into that class. Not that Adventist. I didn't know it. But it came time for her oral examinations. I was on her committee who helped give the oral exam. And uh, Dr. Blankenship, the biochemist, he was chairing the meeting, and we had prayer. And then he said, now, Vivian, would you like something to say, have something to say before we start our questioning? She said, yes, I would. She said, you know that class of Dr. Scharfenberg's? He told us the scientific information. Then he picked up counsels and diet and foods and showed us how Ellen White said that many years ago. <laughs> she said, you know, if he'd gone the other way around, I wouldn't have been interested. But he started with a scientific point of view. And she says, I went out and bought counsels and diet and foods. And when I get back to Hong Kong, I'm going to be baptized. <laughs> Everything we do has to do with evangelism. 
that's a part of us. <laughs> I was the first to get students at Loma Linda University to go overseas. I took a group to the Philippines. Uh, it was quite interesting over there. I met the boy, uh, Bob Osmondson, uh, who came to be one of those students. He, I met him at the airplane, and here was my three or four page assignment. Basically, you are to find a village where there's malnutrition under five years of age. Design a program to handle the problem, even though you're only going to be there three months. It's got to continue until the problem's handled. Okay. The other students all came. They tried to find such a place. They said, we don't see any people malnourished. <laughs> I said, Bill, look at that girl over there. How old do you think she is? Seven. I said, you ask her. I think she'll tell you that she's nine. He asked her. She was nine. She was short. She was malnourished for years. And they didn't recognize it. We finally found this village in Pulilio, a little island off Quezon, and we got to work there. And I got some slides here to show you. Uh, just a few minutes here. Let's, let's show, show these pictures of the, of the Philippines. Uh, we came up to this village. It was politically unorganized. But the leader of the village came to our students, and they said, now we're going to get all the villagers together. And we want you to talk to them. Well, what time do we start? Eight o'clock. Now, nobody had a watch in the village. So how could they tell when it was eight o'clock? But nobody had a watch. And then Bill Osmondson said to them, said, now look, when do we stop? Uh, about the time the sun goes down. Now, the School of Public Health had been taught how to give lectures on health. But what do you do when you have the whole day? <laughs> what do you do? I, I mean, this was kind of interesting. So we, we started. Now, here's the hut we rented to start with, a little Nipah hut. You know, they have these bamboo slats on the floor, and you put your garbage between them so it stops, goes down below, and the pigs take care of it down there. Uh, and, of course, we had to build our own house then later. But we started with this one, okay? Let's, and, and what were we going to do now? We had these, uh, these people. Well, we'd bring them in to sing songs and things like this. We did that. Okay, next. Uh, they were stunted in growth. We had a height-weight study on them. They were all 10 to 12 inches shorter, those kids were, than the kids from wealthy homes in the uh, Makati district in Manila. They were short. All they had to eat was rice, fish, coconuts, and a little kankong, swamp cabbage to give them the vitamin A. They didn't have much to eat. So we had to start a gardening program. And we got into the school system. Gardening. Taught them how to grow feed. We, uh, food. We, we had a seed bank. <laughs> it was a fun thing to do. And as a result of what we did, the governor of the province made a rule, all schools must teach gardening. I've seen a lot of Filipino young people over in the United States, and they remember going to school and having to learn gardening. That's because of what we did, okay? So we taught gardening. We had to learn how to plow with a caribou, okay? Now, here's the house we started to build for ourselves, 
right next to a church. Not many people coming to the church in those days. Next. What else did we do? Yeah. I missed it. It, it, it was a fun time over there. The major thing we found wrong was we did uh, stool tests. Uh, they all had three kinds of worms. Everybody. Three kinds of worms. They all had uh, a hookworm. We had talked to them about shoes. Get thongs. Something. To keep those things from getting in your feet. Uh, then we had a toilet building contest. Now, they didn't like outhouses because when the boards got rotten and the fellow fell through, he got a bad nickname. <laughs> and so we had to be very clever on how we built this. Now, we had a cement thing here with the toilet, and then we had the septic tank out back behind it further, and we had these traps and stuff so the odors didn't go in and out or flies and bugs. And, and we did pretty good. Prisoners over there in the Philippines made the toilets, so we got them from them. There's, there's one of the toilets, okay? We had this toilet-building contest. Now, I was the judge, and I had to decide. It had to be used, number one, because they didn't want to use anything. <laughs> had to be used. Number two, had to have a path with flowers on the way up. You know, I, I had to decide all the rules. Now, the man who won the prize got a watch. The only watch in the village... The next two prizes were shovels. The only shovels in the village. Our young people worked with it through a translator. Filipino student, nurse, and she translated. But our student would say one or two sentences, and then this translator would continue for five minutes. And our students got very upset. I said, that's fine. That's what we're here to do. Let them do it. If they can do it, let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they worked with the young people, special programs for the young people in the village. And their young people's parents said, look, those are Adventistas. We're Catholics. <laughs> Don't go there. And the students said, what have the Catholics done for us? Church was never, ever completed that they started to build. But we were doing something. We were doing something for them. Okay? Now... Since they weren't getting enough to eat, we had to have uh, evening lectures. There were no lights. We had to have a kerosene lantern. Okay. And do you eat this much of rice every day or this much? And uh, we walked up and down the aisles to show them how much. Had to tell them they got to eat more. Okay. But anyway... What was the result of all this? Oh, there, you saw that one, yeah. What was the result of all this experience in the Philippines? There they are, short, shorter than they should have been. In fact, they didn't have any birth dates. We started a birth date system, starting with the newborns. And we had a problem with the newborns. They were dying too fast. The father would cut the cord. He'd take a bamboo stick and, you know, make a point on it. Make sure with saliva it was cleaned off well. And then he'd cut the cord with the stick. And the child got tetanus and would die. It was really something, a problem that we had. And the first man we met there, by the way, was the elder of the Adventist church. He introduced himself as the quack doctor. He had told everybody they had hypertension. 
he had no stethoscope, no sphygmomanometer. Here, all these people supposedly had hypertension. Now, what could we do with this crack doctor? Join him or fight him? We joined him. We bought him a stethoscope. We bought him a swig <laughs> and taught him how to use it. Then he became a real doctor in the village. <laughs> you know, they, they, he really had the support of the people. We needed to use him. And then he found out the people didn't have hypertension. Well, this, this was really a very interesting situation. Thank you. I think that's it, isn't it? I think it is. We, we had a very interesting situation. That church built up. We had 11 of those young people baptized. Within a year, the village next door had an Adventist church. Health evangelism. Another thing I did I think was exciting in my years of teaching, I decided you don't have to be a physician to tell people not to smoke. You don't have to be a physician with all that education to tell people they should exercise. Uh, there was a dentist that brought that to my attention. He came to me, sitting behind a desk in the School of Public Health, a professor. What do you do? Oh, good question. What's a professor do sitting behind the desk? I said, I'm designing programs for these students to do. Well, why don't you let kids do them? I said, when I get through with these, I'll start with the kids' programs. Now, let them do these. I said, Bill, if you can get the students, I'll do the program. But then I had to get permission. You know, Loma Linda University charges huge amounts for credits. Uh, how can I do this? So I went to the associate dean. I said, now, how do I do this? These kids that are going to come have no money. He said, call it an experimental program. If it's experimental, you can charge just what you want. Oh, uh, good. I'll make it experimental, and we won't charge anything. Okay, so Bill got on the phone and called all his friends and all these little self-supporting institutions around the countryside. They jumped, the kids jumped into their cars and drove out to Melinda. Now, I had to find a place for them to stay. So I went to the churches and said, we got these kids coming. They need a place to stay. Room and board for five weeks. <laughs> well, I was asleep the night two of them came to our home. My wife answered the door. She quickly woke me up. She said, those kids are going to ruin your program. I said, what's the problem? You ought to see their long hair. <laughs> those are the days of the long-haired kids. <laughs> I, and I had a hard time, especially because the pastor of the Hill Church believed if those kids wouldn't have their hair cut, they must be homosexuals. <laughs> that made it very difficult. Now, of course... I had the breaks in my class period at alternate times from the breaks in the regular class period where the kids with usual haircuts came, you know. I did persuade this one boy to go and get his hair cut. They cut off that much. <laughs> but, you know, I was trying to figure out how to get him out of the, out of the course. And I dreamt all that night how to do it. I'm going to ask them if they had any chemistry. If they have any chemistry, this is going to be too tough for you. You shouldn't be in this course. So I was up there pacing the living room floor, waiting for the kids to come out. First kid came out. Have you had any chemistry? Yeah, I've had two years. <laughs> Next one, he had some chemistry too. So I couldn't use that as an excuse. We had these students. Now, what happened with these students? A group of them banded together 
and went back to Baltimore and started health programs. And the Spirit of the Lord was working. And a wealthy man from Philadelphia saw where the Spirit of the Lord was working. He said, you come up to my area and I'll pay all expenses. They went up there and held programs. Now, two years later, I went to see one of those students. I said, Louis, do you think anybody's come close to the church as a result of your program? He said, I can name for you 23 people we've baptized just from our weight control programs. Louis Torres hadn't gotten through college, didn't have quite enough credits to get through. So he had them write to me about what I had taught him in that course, five weeks. And they gave him full credit for all that. He graduated from college, became an evangelist, now is president of Guam Mission. <laughs> Louis Torres, you may have known him. No one of him. Well, this, this is medical evangelism. Everything we do in life is an evangelistic effort. I remember having a medical exhibit about Loma Linda health study. And two non-Avis doctors came through, and I heard one say to the other as they were leaving, and they had seen this big exhibit of how Adventists have less colon cancer. And the one said to the other, now, I'm confused. I don't know whether I should become a Seventh-day Adventist or just live like one. <laughs> In our heartbeat program, where we drew blood and uh, try to show people that tomorrow you're going to be a vegetarian. <laughs> you know, we try to show them this kind of thing. Uh, there was one man, Mr. Fishbeck from Redlands. He had an extremely high cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, extremely high triglycerides. He wasn't all very much overweight. That wasn't the problem. He wasn't eating all that much meat. What was the problem? So I had to talk to him a little bit. I finally came to the key question. Do you like ice cream? Yes, I kind of like ice cream. Oh, so once a week or so you have dessert after your meal with ice cream? Well, it's not quite like that. Well, how is it? I eat it before I go to bed at night. Well, how much? Well, you know, I didn't want my wife to know. So I would mash these scoops of ice cream together. I, I, I would think, get a mixing bowl. And I'd mash at least three scoops of ice cream together. Then I like frozen strawberries on top. They weren't sweet enough, so I blended sugar into them. Then I put whipped cream on top. It wasn't sweet enough, so I blended sugar into that. So I said, now maybe once a week you did that? Oh, no, 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 I did this every night. How long have you been doing this? Oh, for months and months. <laughs> the diagnosis was pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> but, but it took a while to get that, those things down to normal. And then you know what he said to me? He said, my wife and I would like to go to some summer camp for a couple weeks. Do you have a summer camp we can go to where they eat right? Is that what we should have? <laughs> That's what we should have. Uh, my, when I was there running the clinic for Loma Linda for the medical students and their families, 
including Lynn's father. <laughs> I, I had him. <laughs> uh, at that clinic, we had racks up there with all of our books. With all of our books. And I spent about $80 a month replenishing that. Steps to Christ, Mary Kennedy's Victory. Uh, you know, the books that really went out. Uh, the Mark Bible. All these books went. My daughter and her husband up in uh, Washington State have a book rack. And the people that supply her from the ABC, that supply her with books, says there's only two doctors in this whole area, in this conference, that do this. Why? Every one of our offices should be an evangelistic center. We should have this material for the people. Now, the key thing I want you to know, I have in a bookmark for you so you don't forget. Michael? Would you come up here and read this to them? I, I want a good Aussie accent. I don't want to make sure they. I want to make sure they don't misunderstand this. And would somebody pass these out? Would you just pass these out to everybody? I want you to all have this. This is the most important of anything I got to say today, right here. Love to man is the earthward manifestation of the love of God. It was to implant this love to make us children of one family that the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you. When we love the world as he has loved, has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Okay. Now, to me, that's kind of exciting. Early on, when we teach health education students how to do health education, we teach them the KISS principle. Have you heard the KISS principle? Keep it simple, stupid. You know, <laughs> you're stupid if you don't keep it simple. So I have a university course in nutrition in one sentence. You want to hear it? <laughs> Eat at the proper times a variety of foods in the natural state in quantities to maintain ideal weight. Okay? Now, we have 28 doctrines. We want to keep it simple. Somebody asks us, what do you teach? What do you believe? What are we going to say? I think this is it. This is it. Right here. When we have the love for the world that Jesus has, we are fitter for heaven. That's what he came to do. You know, Matthew 5.48 says, Be ye therefore perfect. It conjures all these do's that you aren't doing. It conjures up this whole list of don'ts when you are doing them. <laughs> it's impossible. A leopard can't change his spots. Neither can a sinner change his heart. But Philippians 2.13 is the answer. If you are willing to be made willing, God will change your heart. That's the answer. That's the answer. Now, but this Matthew 5.48 makes it seem very hard. Be ye therefore perfect. But this statement, Desire of Ages 6.41, if we have the love for the people in this world that Jesus had when he was here, his work's accomplishing us. We are fitter for heaven. 
That makes it sound easy, doesn't it? I'm excited about that. When your neighbors need to have the health message, are we there to give it to them? When your neighbors need spiritual help, are we there to help them? You know, the final test of Sabbath and Sunday is related to two medical missionary work. Before my wife passed away in March, we decided we were going to read together for morning and evening worship all the manuscript releases, 21 volume, three or 400 pages apiece. We read them. Now, she had already read them once. She was the best read woman of the spirit prophet, any woman in the church, ever, ever. She knew it backwards and forwards. But we read it together, and I marked in the back of the book statements that we hadn't seen anywhere else. And I want to read you this one here, connecting up with true medical missionary work with Sabbath Sunday. Listen to it. The word of God in his law is binding upon every intelligent mind. The truth for this time, the third angel's message, is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, meaning with increasing power as we approach the great final test. This test must come to the churches in connection with a true medical missionary work, a work that has the great position to dictate and preside in all it comprehend. Now, see, she talks about the final test, which we know is Sabbath Sunday. This test must come to the churches in connection with true medical missionary work. How does true medical missionary work have to do with the Sabbath Sunday question? Well, let me finish the paragraph and you'll see it. Under the great head, we are to present God's word requiring obedience to the system of Bible truth, which is a system of authority and power, convicting and converting the conscience. The demand of the word to obedience is a life and death question. Obedience to what day we keep, obedience to the health reform message, obedience to doing what she says in giving the health message. Obedience, it's a life and death question. I am so amazed to see, I, I'd seen this statement years before from other sources, but here I saw it in the context of manuscript releases. It's volume 10 of manuscript releases, page 314. Obedience, which day we keep? Obedience on health reform. Obedience to the whole message we have of health reform. I was over in Slovakia, and uh, there was a young girl there who was a pediatrician. She got acquainted with Adventists because she heard a pastor speak on the vegetarian diet, and she was interested in that. So she volunteered to help. So she translated for me while I was there. And she was so nice to, to people. She, she, uh, they would ask the most stupid questions. She would be nice to them, answer very nicely. Uh, I had a hard time. A lady who was very excited about raw foods asked me in a big meeting if it was okay to eat raw, rice raw. And I snapped back, I'd suggest you ask your psychiatrist that question. <laughs> now, now, that wasn't nice at all. <laughs> that wasn't nice at all. Uh, Neil Nedley was there and heard that. Uh, uh, it wasn't nice. I felt bad about that ever since. But this Yanka, she would 
answers so nicely, even when people ask stupid questions. Well, she came to the United States to help a, a Czech lady who was about to have triplets. She, being a pediatrician, was a good one to ask help. But that lady got a little funny mentally in her, towards her uh, end of the pregnancy, and she wanted Yanka out of that house. Yanka knew no Americans, nobody to call, except she did have my telephone number, and she called me. I said, Yanka, you stay right there. I'll be down in two days and pick you up. I brought her to my home, got my scrolls out of the Daniel 2, <laughs> went through it with her. My husband's got to hear this. My husband's got to hear this. Well, to make a long story short, she was baptized. I flew over there. It was many years later, she was baptized. I flew over there for the baptism. I had the sermon, the Sabbath, and they went to the baptismal. And uh, she was baptized in, in a lake. And uh, she is now the medical director for the Slovakian conference, where I just came. In 90 days, she had me with 80 uh, speaking appointments. And I'll be going back there in the spring again. She is doing a marvelous thing because she doesn't see Adventists during the week. She only sees non-Adventists. And she works with them. She's in the school system. She's everywhere. She's got a, a school that teaches cooking, having a program once a year of how to cook healthfully, a demonstration, and she gets the elite in the community to come into into there and try it. I was there last summer. It was the second year she had it. Uh, you know, she's gotten her town so steamed up on this. The mayor of the town said, Ruzambarak is the town of prevention for all of Slovakia. She's just over the U.S., brought a Catholic couple that she's working with. The Catholic lady had worked with the university, and raised money for a big convention over there on prevention. But the fact that she's not around Adventists every day, she's got to work without Adventists, and she is. I think sometimes we tend to associate with ourselves only. We need to associate with others. I was over in Africa. Dr. Wangai was such a good fellow at bringing people into the church through the health message. He was the division health director at this time. He said, it's time that we have a big meeting for all of our educators, all of our health workers, all of our pastors to show them how to do health evangelism. So he had me come over for about 10 days before the big evangelistic meeting. And uh, he had me speaking to 14 different groups. And then we rented the Best place in town. It seated 500, cost $10,000 to rent it. A local church member paid for it. You couldn't come without a coupon. Didn't have to pay for it. But Adventists couldn't come unless they brought a non-Adventist. Place was packed, 400 people. I gave the first two talks on health. And Dr. Uh, Walter Pearson, you know the black preacher on TV? Very good. He tells stories, Bible stories. Very good, uh, what he does. And I had, uh, he had the next four nights, but I had a health talk before his. 
So we had about equal time. Well, there was a Muslim, young Muslim was baptized, was converted and baptized at that meeting. We'll call him Omar, that's not his name, but we'll call him Omar. And he started preaching in the mosque. And the people in the mosque realized this wasn't the usual Muslim religion stuff. And so they wanted to uh, assassinate him. They came in with hand grenades under the gown, and a young man was to stand up and to revile him publicly. And that was the signal to throw the hand grenades and assassinate him. The young man stood up, opened his mouth. His jaw got dislocated. He couldn't talk. In fact, he couldn't eat. And his family was afraid he was going to die. So his father brought him to Omar and said, would you please pray for him? And he prayed for him. His jaw flipped back into place. Well, his father got him, had him on the floor with a knife to kill him. And the brothers came along and said, we can't kill one of our own. So he took the knife from the father. said, we'll just gouge out his eyes so he can't read the scriptures. Came down, bang, one eye pops out. He jumps up and screams and got away. He says he's got to read the scriptures real fast now before they come for the other eye. Uh, he's in charge of our Muslim Bible correspondence school. Dr. Wangai could take my simple health talks and work them into an evangelistic meeting. I don't know how he did it. He said, I don't, well, don't want you to talk about religion or anything like that. And yet when I'd get through, he'd get up there and make an evangelistic appeal. And got the people to sign up for Bible studies and all this. I don't know how he does this. But he did it very well. And we went down to Botswana. And there was a lady that was kind of interested in Bible studies. And she helped us to arrange for three days health talks to all the members of parliament and cabinet. Six cabinet members were baptized. <clears throat> health is a right arm of the message. But we have to be sound in doctrine, then they will think we're sound in health. I mean, if we're sound in health, they'll think we're sound in doctrine. If we're unsound in health, they'll think we're unsound in doctrine. So we have to be very careful what we say. Make sure it's accurate. Spirit of prophecy is our guide <laughs> of accuracy. Okay? There in Slovakia and the Czech Republic, they've started all kinds of health clubs to get groups together. Our problem is to get enough Seventh-day Adventists to be in the mix. That's our problem. Now, we had cooking schools. And uh, my assistants would all sit in the back row. I said, you can't do this. You've got to mingle with the people. We want you mixed up, sitting in the middle of them. Then with our two-hour program, we'd have a break right in the middle. And it was interesting. Somebody would have a question, and this Adventist girl would have the answer. And so there was a group around this girl at the break. And there was a group around that Adventist at the break. There was a group around that Adventist at the break. Okay. There was one girl missed our scrambled tofu night. She didn't see us making scrambled tofu like scrambled eggs with the turmeric making it look yellow, you know. And I said, say you missed the other night. That's the next night when she came. I said, you missed the other night. Wouldn't you like to have somebody come and show you this at home? We have health counselors who do this at home. 
So our health counselor, Bible worker, went to her home. And, you know, with two women in the kitchen, can you think of any subject that doesn't get discussed? (laughs) And pretty soon the girl says, you know, those Ten Commandments. I understand most of them, but that fourth one, I I don't quite get it. To our Bible study ensued. The next week, they were at church. Well, these health clubs, they are good things. They had them all over the place. Uh, It's run under the Life and Health Association, is what they call it, a name that doesn't indicate a church, so we can get grants from government and such sources. And uh, so I was at the last Life and Health Association board meeting over there, and the conference president said, Bohemil Kern, you're going to have to defend that we put any money into you, your work, at the next conference meeting. So he was going through his slideshow, what he was going to say. And so I said to Brother Bohemil, I said, now I know how they think. I know what they're going to ask you. How many baptisms did you get? I know what they're going to say. He had the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, I'm going to ask them a question. How many people have you baptized last year who have not been through our health programs? I thought that was very clever. Most all of them had been through the health programs. <laughs> okay? Now, if these health programs, they promote the health camp a whole week. Camp on health. And they have uh, religious meetings. Devotional in the mornings. You don't have to attend. Some don't. Uh, Now, how do you get spiritual into these people? Here's what I did. I took the Coleman's seven stages of moral development. You've heard of those? Coleman, the professor at Harvard. He says, stage one, it's like raising children. You're punished if you don't do what's right. That's stage one of moral development. So you do what's right, because you're going to be punished. Stage two, you do what's right, because you're going to be rewarded. Stage three, you do what's right, because whole society is living this way. Stage four, you do what's right on the speed limit, because you were part of the committee that made the speed limit. Okay? Stage five is where moral development really starts. You do what's right, because it's right. Stage six is a higher stage. You do what's right, even if you're the only one who does it. Now, since Harvard was no longer a religious institution, but was secular, he didn't dare talk about the seventh state. But everybody knew what he meant. It's our love for God. And I think there's a stage beyond that. It's not only out of love for God, but intellectually you know he is right. All right, so we, we go through these stages at this health camp meeting, at the, at the end of that, I divided them into small groups. I said, the big question now is, how do you decide what is right? I want each group to come up with, how do you decide that? They all end up with, you know, there's a power above us that has to make that decision. They need to know there is God that's making that decision. And that's what the Ten Commandments is all about. 
But I'd like them to try to get to their, their own conclusion on this. You know, we can even do straight evangelism. I went with Elder Falkenberg over to Liberia, and the team spread out over the countryside for evangelistic efforts. I did my own first evangelistic effort all by myself. Now, I've never done that before, but it works. 223 people baptized. Everything we do is an evangelistic effort. And health is a right arm. That makes people think about things, you know. And when you are doing something for people that improves their health, they want to know what makes you tick. And pretty soon they ask you why. Why you do this? Why you do that? I'm excited about the potential we have ahead of us. I think the best news is still ahead of us of things that are going to happen in this church because of our health. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're so excited about all the message you have given to this people of how we should live, how we can be examples to those around us. And how, have you, how you have given us this information that if we have the love for the people of the world like you had when you were here, that is what you came to do, and then we are ready for heaven. Help us to live in a way that will show this love to all of those around us. For Jesus' sake, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.